Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2.5% of the most popular podcasts globally, and it's all because of my incredible guests. And I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game and who are absolutely willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. And these are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with you the essence of peak performance. And our topic today is mindset, branding, marketing, and these are business lessons learned from the pandemic. My guest, Jane Blaufus, is a business coach, author, international keynote speaker, and a frequent guest expert on national TV, radio, and podcasts. And she brings her extensive years of expertise in marketing, sales, executive leadership, excuse me, my voice is going fast, and business development to the table, and is the founder of the Blaufus Group, which is based in Toronto. And she is the author of the third edition of the best-selling book, With the Stroke of a Pen, Claim Your Life. And her book and comprehensive binder have been acclaimed as two of the most actionable personal and financial planning resources available today for families, individuals, and business owners. And yes, I have that book and the binder, and I do highly recommend them. So Jane joins us today to share the business lessons that she learned painfully and quickly and easily after she got over the pain faction. And these are lessons that she learned from the pandemic when her speaking business all but shut down due to travel restrictions and what kept her and her clients moving forward. Jane, welcome back. Good morning, Denise. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Well, thank you. In our our virtual green room, you got to hear me yell at Hamilton as an ass, my cat, because he... (laughs) And I hope none of the, our audience heard that. But listen, you were here last four years ago when we discussed how to begin having the necessary courageous conversations to get you know people to get their personal and financial lives in order. And here's the thing. We are friends and colleagues, and we chat one way or another regularly. But it has been four years since you graced my show, and shame on me. I'm surprised I'm still on your Christmas card list. Well, you really aren't because I don't send them out anymore, remember? But you're always in my heart. Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) But we're still speaking, so thank you for that. Well, I I can't believe it's been four years, and the friendship that's developed and all the work we've managed to do together has just been awesome. I just so value you in my life. Um. Thank you, and same to you. I'm, and we do we do a lot of work together, and we recommend each other a lot. And your book and your binder, seriously, highly recommend it. Anybody who's listening, go to, to Blaufus, janeblaufus.com and take a look at that book. So, And that reminds me, I, we need a quick primer on why you wrote that book. I know the story, but it was four years ago that our audience heard the story. Well, as you know, I was in the life insurance industry and um, I'd been, you know, um, working with people, helping them to get prepared and make sure that their financial house was in order in case anything happened when God decided to step in on July the 11th, 1999 and remind me why it was so important because my 39-year-old husband was killed in an accident that morning and in less than 60 seconds, I became a widow with a 12 and a half year old daughter and a financial tsunami coming my way. So I found out the hard way that I thought I was prepared, but there were things that I had, I had missed even with all my expertise and knowledge. So fast forward, happily remarried to a wonderful man who was married to a friend of mine that we lost to cancer. So there's a, there's a huge story there. So we decided we were supposed to do something with it. So we decided to pay it forward. So wrote the book to help one family never to have to go through what we've been through. And look at where it's led me. I've met you. I've been on your podcast and things have just taken off. But the ultimately what warms my heart is that I hear from people that it actually has made a difference. So that was that was the whole point. And that's an important story because 
a lot of times, most often, when we have a, a really awful loss or a tragedy, we often have to say, I can't fix it, but I can go forward and help other people with it. And that's what you did. Exactly. So let's talk about, I mean, I remember when you were grounded, basically. You're in Canada and I'm in, I'm in southwest Louisiana and you could not travel. I mean, everything was shut down. It was COVID and we're not going to talk about my thoughts on COVID because they're not pleasant. But you were you were basically housebound and you had clients to take care of. You had speeches that could not be made, not in in house, so to speak. What did you do? What were the steps you took to make sure that number one, you didn't go bankrupt. Number two, you kept moving forward. Well, it was interesting because my last in person speech was in Las Vegas two weeks before we went into lockdown. I went down and spoke there, took my daughter with me. We had a girls weekend, not knowing that that would be the last time we would be able to travel freely for a long time. And so we came home and Denise, I had told you that I was trying to look at transitioning off the road because the year before the pandemic hit, I was actually on the road. I did 26 speeches in one year and it was, it was rather exhausting. So I had already started the process of transitioning out of as much in, in person as I'd been doing to more working virtually. But I got thrown out of the fi- frying pan into the fire very quickly when that just totally went away. As a matter of fact, uh, three weeks ago in Denver, I delivered a speech that I should have delivered two years ago. And the first week of August, I'm going back to the U.S. to deliver a second speech that I should have delivered two years ago. So that's how long it's been put on hold. But to answer your question, I had to, I had to quickly, and I hate this word. I hate it, but it sums it up. I had to pivot, just like everybody else did. Because, you know, you go to work on Friday and on Monday, there's, you're staring at the four walls. I am a home-based business, so for me, that was good. I have a home-based studio that's all set up and ready to rock and roll. So I thought, okay, now I have to totally work out of the virtual world. And then it struck me, and I thought, well, if I do, so do many other people. And I, I'm a business coach, so I work with people that are you know, small business owners, independents, entrepreneurs, and whatever. And I thought, okay, so what can I do to help them to not only survive, but to thrive in the virtual world. So that's the tactic I took, and that's what I started with. How long did it take you to figure out that you needed to do that? I think based on my memory of conversations that we had back in those days, you didn't let a whole lot of grass grow under your feet. Try 24 hours. That's what I thought. (laughs) I wasn't sure. I remember well, you they, told me, and I went, well, that's brilliant. Well, but like you, is, and I have to say that word pivot, P-I-V-O-T, I detest it. I and we heard it so much. It's not one of my favorite words. And, you know, there's just, yeah, I guess sometimes we have to, but I prefer to think of it as, you know, making new paths, creating new paths, creating new thought processes, helping people in a different way. Pivot, it just doesn't do it. Pivot, the word pivot actually makes my skin crawl a bit. I wish it would be removed from the dictionary <laughs> after all we've been through with it. It, it's, it was a little bit like reinventing yourself, but I think it was all, it had a lot to do with mindset <clears throat> because if your mindset was that you could only do something one way and you were stuck in that mindset, it was about overcoming the mindset and seeing the opportunities that lay before you in the new world. That's the way I sort of repurposed it. So after that 24 hours kind of gelled for you, and I'm going to have to mute a lot, my voice is just coming and going for some reason. What were some of your first steps? Did you pick up the phone and call your coaching clients? Did you, I'm sure you had to have, but how did you communicate with them that you were still there and you were still going to be able to work with them? Because a lot of people didn't know what Zoom was. Now we do. We have Zoom fatigue. Um, But (laughs) 
I do. But yeah, there was just, it had to be different. And when you're talking about offering a new way of doing business on top of all the angst and the blown minds that you're dealing with, people running around going, oh, geez, oh, geez, oh, geez. Did you meet with much, I guess my question is, did you meet with much resistance or did people go, oh, thank God? Interesting question. I did not meet with resistance. I met with the second. Oh, my God, I thank you. I'm so glad you reached out because I can't go through this alone. So the good news was my existing clients were used to working through Zoom with me. So what I did with all of them was I reached out and I said, okay, so here's the plan. We're going to meet on a more regular basis because, you know, my co- uh, many of my coaching clients are on Zoom with me once a month but we have connection, you know, through email, text, and other things through the month. But I said, okay, guys, we're going to bi-weekly because once, once a month is too long. I said, I'm going to hold your hand through this, and I don't mean it that I'm your mother, but I'm going to hold your hand because this is a new world, and we need to make sure that we are going through this together and dealing with the changes as they come along. So I moved everybody to a bi-weekly coaching call with me and I said we're just going to some of this we're going to have to learn as we go along but it's going to be a case of we're really going to have to be connected and you have to use me don't abuse me but you need to reach out more because if you're out of sight I can't help you And that was a big thing. And so that's sort of, that was the first big shift with my coaching clients that I was already working with. So that changed your schedule. I'm trying to remember what we talked about at the time, but I remember all of a sudden you went from, oh, geez, I don't need to pack my bag anymore or kiss my husband or dog goodbye, oh, geez, to, man, I'm slammed. I remember Mm -hmm. that. Because you Mm -hmm. got really busy really quickly. And then I think you had to say, okay, Jane, you're killing yourself. You had to actually do some systems that would allow you to have a breath, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and one of the biggest systems was I work off a calendar. I work off a booking calendar. It wasn't just willy-nilly. So Mm -hmm. I decided to devote Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays to nothing but coaching But I also built a buffer in for me because what I realized was I was starting to get booked back to back to back, and that was a little bit too much for me. So we put a buffer in of a half an hour between each of my coaching calls so I could at least, you know, get raise my head up and have air and a glass of water and maybe something to eat occasionally. But those became three very focused full days. So all I did in those three days was coach because I didn't want to be distracted by anything else. So Mondays and Fridays became the days that I did, you know, my work for clients or built new, um, built new content or material or whatever. But I really became focused on those three days. And I wanted to ask you, the speaking in person obviously came to a screeching halt during those two years or two and a half, I don't even know how long it's been now. Were you doing any speaking in uh, like virtual speaking? How did that work out? I did some, but, but my, my particular speaking works better when it's in person because it's very, um, it's story-based, emotional, whatever, and it seems to work better when you can work with the energy with a group. But what I did do, before I forget to mention this, I work a lot in the financial services sector, as you well know. And so I reached out to a contact of mine with an association up here in Canada that is like right across Canada, works with all the financial services representatives. And I said, okay, we have a problem. These advisors and representatives and, you know, financial planners went to work on Friday and they are not going to work on Monday and they don't know how, many of them don't know how to survive, never mind thrive, but even to survive in the virtual world. So I had him um, come together with me and we created a one-hour webinar to, and, and I gave these advisors tools and tips on how to work in the virtual world 
which has been very, very successful. It's been watched and viewed by many, many people, but it was about how to build relationships in a virtual environment. So I didn't do a lot of speaking, but I did a lot of webinars where I helped people to learn how to do this. Case in point is this client I'm talking about that I went and spoke uh, to their at their big sales conference three weeks ago, and I'm going back to do their women's symposium at the beginning of um, August. I went to my contact at the company and said, "Okay, so these people aren't going to be able to tra- travel to the conference, so they're not going to get any in person, and neither for the women's symposium." So I said, "How about I do a webinar with them to teach them how to work?" in the virtual world. So those are some of the changes I made, Denise, to help them to be able to continue to, you know, keep moving forward and and to be successful through the pandemic in spite of it all. And this is important. You're talking a lot about, you know, working virtually. Listen, I have worked from my home office for 20 years. It didn't harm me, but I was one of the lucky ones. It didn't. But what I did find out was that connecting became a lot more important. I couldn't just mm-hmm. do – I do a lot of my work virtually. I'm a web developer. You know, I'm a social media digital agency. Uh, most of my work is done in front of a, a computer monitor. But I did find out that people were upset, confused, miffed. Then they'd go back to upset, confused, and then back to miffed. And I found out, and this is something I had to actually teach myself to do, pick up the phone. Yep. Had, we had lost the art to some degree, I know I had, of having actual conversations or just picking up the phone and saying, how are you? Is there anything I can help you with? Are you okay? Do you just want to complain about something? I'll listen. But I think we lost the art of connecting in some ways old-fashioned way, which means just have a conversation or 10, whatever you need to do. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because um, I added a new piece to my speech that I did three weeks ago, and it was about what did the pandemic teach us? Because I believe there were some very valuable lessons that came out of the pandemic that we must be aware of and keep front and center as we move forward. Because in the insurance industry, the financial services industry, relationships have always been key they always have been and they always will be and just to your point about picking up the phone and whatever what I was teaching people and and trying to get across to them was that times have changed so it was about it wasn't about selling anymore it was about stepping in stepping up and supporting people to your point because if anybody during the pandemic thought you were trying to hoist anything on them they would run a million miles. So it became, and this is what I helped my clients to do, was to change the language that they were using. And we started very similar to what you just mentioned. I gave them three questions to ask when they got on with their, you know, prospects, clients. And it's kind of funny because I I distinctly remember one of my clients saying to me, well, how am I going to do this in, in a box? How, how am I going to build a relationship? Like, how do I have a conversation with a person? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. If we were meeting face-to-face in a coffee shop, would you walk in and try to ram a product down my throat? And they said, no. I said, what would you do? They said, I'd ask you how you are. I said, it's no different. Right. right. So I got them to ask, and, and this was an important way to ask this question, because having been through the grief process myself, after losing my husband, what I started to notice, and I think you and I have talked about this offline before, is I started to see people going through the grieving process through the pandemic, even though they might not have physically lost somebody, but they'd lost a lifestyle, a job, a way of life. Um, you know, they were they were homes, trying to homeschool their kids, like a lot of things had changed. So I got them to ask this particular question when they started, how are you doing but adding the word today. Because what I found when I was going through the grief process was I was never the same day today. I was always different. And you can probably 
attest to this or, you know, I'm sure that you oh, can yeah. empathize with where I'm going. So it was a case of how are you doing today? Because if today isn't a good day, then re, you know, readjust what you're going to do. And then if they're fine, then the next one is, how's everybody that you love and care about doing? Because you might be doing okay, but if somebody you love, care about isn't doing, you aren't going to get anywhere with anybody. And then the third one is, what can I do to help you, just as you said? So I think that was one of the biggest things. And it it showed that relationships really do matter. Relationships, they're key. They're key. And it's about being there. It was a, what the pandemic taught us was it was about really being present. It was about listening and not listening to speak, but listening to understand. And you made a comment about, you know, maybe you just want to vent or you want to do whatever. Denise, you wouldn't believe how many times I got onto Zoom and looked at a client at the other end and went, oh, holy moly in my head. I had one young lady who'd had a panic attack five minutes before getting on with me. She had mascara running down her face. Her hair was half sliding off her head in a bun. And I said, okay, what's going on? I was getting on. We had a, we, it was coaching time. And I got on with her and I went, okay, we're not coaching today. Just talk to me. She had three high school kids. She was trying to homeschool. Her son was in engineering. Her husband's an engineer in the military, in the Navy, but she says, I don't know anything about engineering, and he's away. So it was about life. It was about what was really happening. So it was about listening to people. I've, I helped some parents, some of my clients, I helped them devise a homeschooling plan. One of my clients, or a student, wasn't showing up for classes in the virtual world. She was failing everything, and she goes, what is wrong with me? I'm right here. I'm at home. I'm, I'm right here. I'm watching her. What am I missing? And she was beating herself up. So a lot of things happened during this pandemic that I really think the other thing that came out is we, we had to learn how to trust ourselves through this, that we were doing the right things and that we were adding value and bringing value to the table for our clients. And it was really about being authentic. Like, don't don't give me something else during this pandemic. I can't take it. Just be your authentic self. And I think the, one of the other things that really came out was just because, and you and I have talked about this, just because someone may look all right on the surface of the water, they might be paddling like heck underneath and just trying to hang on. Yeah, that poor duck. Ducks yep. look so calm and, boy, they're paddling like crazy they where are. you can't see it. Yeah, uh, we have had that conversation. And the thing, and you just mentioned something important, you know, you're coaching, but sometimes, and I, I have to do this more often than you would think with my web development clients, particularly when we're starting the process, because it's scary. If you don't have a website or you've never had a good one and you don't know where to go and you're being given all kinds of information that's probably no good, it's frightening. And those first three or four conversations, I'll tell you right now, I'm not coaching. I'm counseling. Yep. I'm trying to find out what it is that they really do, what it is that they love, where their zone of genius is, and they may have several zones, and what it is that they really want to share with their audience, the other website people, you know, people who visit them there or come in their audience, how do they show up? And once they kind of have, have permission to show up as them, they're like, oh, okay, let's do this. But a lot of it is counseling, is listening, listening, and listening, and counseling. The worst thing you can do as a coach or, you know, somebody in, in my position where I'm building for people is jumping and say, oh, we can fix that. You better oh. stop doing that. Stop doing that. It's it's just like. You know, you mentioned it earlier, somebody's there listening so they can jump in and go, oh, well, here's how you do that. I'm pig-headed. You don't tell me nothing. You just don't. <laughs> so I try not to do it to other people, too. You just, well, let me hear what's going on. And sometimes I'll say, you know what, I'm going to have to think on this. And then we'll come back after we've had that, like you said, that 30-minute break. 
and say, okay, this is what came to me while we were away. It works. It's connection. It's trust. It's faith in what you do. It's faith in what they do. But for crying out loud, take the time to listen. Well, there's a reason God gave us two ears and one mouth. But a lot of people forget that and overuse the one mouth and part the two ears. And their keyboard. Pardon? I'm telling you right now. And their keyboard. People are making a big mistake with their keyboards right now. Exactly. And the thing is, is that if you truly, and that goes back to what I said about truly being present, truly listening, trusting that you know what you're talking about so that you don't have to try to be thinking one step ahead of the person that you're talking to, but that comes back to the authentic piece. And it's when you listen to people, they will give you everything usually and more than you need. Because if you just let people talk and you don't interrupt their thought pattern all the time, they will often come to their own conclusion or they will go, you know, like some of my, some of my clients went, I, I, did, I had no idea that I needed to talk to somebody like I just talked to you. I have three sisters that I talk to all the time, but it's different. And so it's just being able to, to really just, be quiet. And for a lot of people, you and I both know how hard that is for a lot of people. They just, if, if there's silence, they panic. You've got to learn to love and live with that silence in order to be successful in my mind. Oh, I agree with you. I'm, as you well know, I'm a highly committed introvert and I'm happy that way. I was born <laughs> that way. I've had people say, well, you don't like to be out in public? No, I really don't. I'm not shy. In fact, I don't have any filters, and I'm often known as the life of the party for 59 and three-quarter minutes. After that, I'm gone. I've got to go. I've timed it. But silence to me is so important, whether I'm talking with somebody, and by talking you can put talking slash listening, or if I'm just all by myself, because that's where I find the God winks show up. That's where something just comes out of nowhere, and you and I have talked about this. When, you, when you're supposed to be doing something and that big arrow keeps pointing at you and poking you in the eyeball, those are God winks. That's instinct. That's insight. Somebody is trying to tell you something. But if you're yakking away, you're not going to get those messages or those insights. It's, it's really interesting that you say that because I think I shared the story with you about the God wink I got in relation to the book because I had had this book rattling around in my head for like years and it got to the point where the noise was deafening. And I remember I was just sitting in my office one day and I, my husband wasn't here and I think he was out with the dog somewhere and I was all alone and it was totally quiet. And I was just sitting here and all of a sudden I went, Oh dear. And I literally sat in my office and looked towards the ceiling in my office and I went, okay, God, I got it. Stop beating me over the head. I know what I'm supposed to do. And as soon as I put two and two together, I was off to the races and I wrote and published my book in six months. I'd been, I, had I remember that. that. I had, I had my, that story was running around. I'd started writing it five years before. I had like 30 pages. And when I figured out what I was supposed to do and went back to what I wrote, I went, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. That doesn't go there. So I, I took it, but I changed it all up. So it's those, I love, I'm going to steal that from you. I love those God wink moments. They, listen, I actually go look for them now. I'm listening for them. You know, you probably heard me tell this story. When I'm in the shower and I take a shower that is hot enough to steam broccoli, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I really I don't know why. And it could be 100 degrees outside in the deep south, and I'm going to take the hottest shower I can stand. But this is when I find my – It's I guess it's a meditative process for me because I relax, and I get these wonderful messages. I'm, they're almost like Godwink instant messages, and I don't want to lose them. So I went and I bought some bathtub crayons, and I still have, them. I have a box of them. <laughs> In my in my bathroom, and I scribble. The minute I start getting that insight, it's downloading from somewhere. Here, here's the thing: I'm going to say when I hear myself in my head, Denise, I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. 
No, we're not. That is pure ego. Yeah, but if I hear something else, it's a different kind of a voice. It's a different kind of an instinct. Those crayons come out, and I scribble all over the bathroom stall. And then I have to, you know, after the the smoke clears, the steam clears, and I can see in there again, I'll take pictures of it because I didn't lose anything. But that's where most of the time I get my God winks. But the last couple of years during all this, because I was dealing with a lot of people who were, you know, just what you described, they're panicked. They're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what do we do now? Well, let me listen. Let's Let's hear what's going on. And I would find that I would get an instinct or an insight in the middle of listening to them, scribble it down, not interrupt them, mm-hmm. but speak it out loud because you and I know when we're talking to ourselves out loud, we're like, oh, that was just brilliant. It really was. I mean, there's if we, if we learn to talk to ourselves out loud, we're going to hear some things that we've never discussed before. Why haven't we? Well, never said it out loud. It works for me, but I'm always looking for those Godwinks. I'm actively hunting for them now. And I think that comes back to what you I said about trusting yourself. I think when you're in a Godwink moment, you're trusting yourself more, and I think you're listening to your gut, because you and I have talked about listening to our guts before, and 95% of the time your gut doesn't let you down. Yeah, every now and then, you, you know, or, or you rally against what your gut is telling you and do it anyway. And I don't know about you, but sometimes my outside voice is, no, stupid, that won't work. And yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And you know me, I fight with my nav system. It's like, well, you're not the boss of me. Turns out she is. <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to do? It's just my knee jerk. Re- you can't talk to me like that. Well, I just did. Oh, crap. So here we go. <laughs> well, all I know is that um, a lot of there's a lot of not so great stuff that's come out of this pandemic, but I think there's lots of great stuff that is going to has come out, and I hope will continue and will stay because you know you mentioned it. I have been blessed. My business has thrived through this pandemic. It's never been better. I have uh, had, and, and the other thing I found was people were reaching out to me and saying, hey, I understand you're coaching so-and-so. Um, she, she said, he said that, it, you know, it's really helping. Do you have any capacity to take on any new clients? So I was getting these people coming to me and saying, uh, I don't want to do this by myself. And my clients have hit milestones they've never hit before. They've made more money than they've made before. They've qualified for levels inside of their companies they've never qualified before. But the thing is, is that they've also really developed their skill sets to the point where I've had many of them say, wow, I thought I was doing a good job before, but uh, no, I wasn't. Like, this is totally, totally different. And all of them that have listened and gone, have taken the suggestions about developing relationships more, have had more come back. Stuff has come back to them tenfold. Because the other thing that's happened is that people they're working with have told other people what they've been doing. And they've said, I need to talk to that person because I don't have anybody to talk to. And so right. it's helped them because, you know, people have been, and right now, of course, people are really worried with the economy and everything else. Well, I work with a lot of financial advisors. And so my financial advisors have not been hiding under the table because the markets are in the toilet. They've been reaching out to their clients and saying, okay, now remember, we planned for this. We have a plan in place. So don't panic. We're not in this for the short term. Remember, we're in it for the long term. But a lot of people that my clients have had come to them, it's because their advisors disappear or they can't get or they don't have anybody. So there's been a lot of positives that have come out of this as well. One of the things I found is that people who you know were very independent before and said, oh, I, I can do it on my own have gone, no, I don't think I can. I need some help. 
So I think that's been a positive outcome from all of this. Well, I started noticing that about a year into it. That first year, everybody was walking around going, oh, geez, or other kinds of words. And it wasn't good. I mean, just there was a low-level global sense of panic. You couldn't avoid mm-hmm. it. You could feel it. And I noticed last year or so it started lifting and people were like, hey, I survived. We survived. Not only did we survive, but we've gone in a slightly different path and we're doing things you know, differently than we used to at some degree, but it's working and we're helping more people. And I'm finding truly and nothing about this show is religious, you know this, and we're talking about Godwinks, but I'm finding that servant leaders are doing the best. People mm-hmm. like you, like me, who want to help other people. We do the work we do because we can help other people. Yes, we want to make money. Yes, we want to build our business. Yes, we want to pay our our team. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing that we're doing and other servant leaders are doing is saying, hey, I'm still here and I can help. Just let's talk. What do you need? You know what? Maybe I can't actually help you after I've listened to you, but I know people who can. So that's where a referral business comes from, like you just referenced. So show up and be you and be honest and be graceful, and you're still going to be just fine. And the first two words you said there are the most critical, show up. Show up. If you don't show up, then shame on you because if you, you know, I, I when I wrote the book, as I said, I wrote I wrote the book to help one family, one family, never to have to go through what we went through. I never wrote it to build a business around it. And I remember when I was launching the book, somebody very close to me said, "Well, what happens if you don't sell any?" And I thought, "Well, first of all, thanks for your support." <laughs> That wasn't me, by the way, just so we know. That wasn't me. No, I know it wasn't you. But I said, I quite frankly don't care if I don't sell any. If if we just help one family never to have to go through what we went through, then this will be a rip-roaring success in my mind. So I've had many people say to me that because you wrote it from a place of giving and paying it forward, it's come back to you tenfold. And I was like, wow okay, I guess I've accomplished what I set out to accomplish. That's exactly right, and that's the servant leader mind. Mm-hmm. But in another slightly different, I want to go back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, is that not only did you pick up your coaching, your coaching is doing spectacularly well, but if I'm not missing my, my mind, which I think I left out in the dining room, um <laughs> I walked through it, left it, came back over in here, and here we are. Um, Didn't you also start coaching other coaches how to do Zoom calls with their coaching? And didn't you, weren't other people who were doing the work you were doing but didn't know how to continue, didn't they reach out and say help? Or am I just, okay. Yeah, not a lot of them, but but there were a few. I um I became virtual I became certified to be a virtual presenter. I went through the certification process and it was quite funny cuz the lady who was certifying me said, "Oh boy, I wish you could I wish you could coach other people how to do this because they haven't got a clue what they're doing, but you've got it down pat." I said, "Well, I've been doing it for 10 years." So, um, you know, I've learned a few things along the way. But yeah, I had I had a number of them that I that I said Sure, come on, let's let's do this. What are you doing? I got them set up with home studios. All of my clients have an in-house studio with a proper microphone and proper lighting. And I got to tell you a funny story, if I may, for a minute. Uh, I was coaching one of my clients one day, and at the end of the call, she says to me, "Can I ask you a question?" And I said, "Sure." She goes, "What what what makeup do you use? What what cream, face cream do you use?" And I said, "I beg your pardon." I know. <laughs> she like what? And I then you wonder, do I have you know, you know, charcoal on my face? What happened? Well, I I was so perplexed, and I I must have looked stunned. And she says, I said, may I ask why you're asking? She says, because you haven't got a flipping wrinkle on your face. And I went, oh wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> I remember I do. the story. I do. And so when I was all finished and I hung up, my husband was killing himself laughing killing himself 
And he comes in and he says, can I have the mouse for a minute? And I didn't know there was an enhance your appearance feature on Zoom, which he had put, which he had put to the almost maximum. So believe me, you, you want to know how fast I taught all my other clients that trick? Oh, gosh, yeah. (laughs) And I didn't know it either until you told me, of course, you're not going to see me on camera on Zoom anyway. But I, now, I'm, when I'm on Zoom with other people, I'm looking to see, oh, they don't know that trick. Oh, yeah. I think they're using that trick. Oh, she looks great. <laughs> but, but, but that's, you know, there are filters everywhere we go. And that's, that's what they, you know, people said, I don't know how to do this. And the one good thing about this is it's forced people who are sitting on the fence to get off the fence and get into the virtual world. I have one client who says, I'm not getting back in my car and driving all over God's green acre anymore. I'm doing this this way. He says, I'm much more efficient. And he said, I get a lot more done. My business is more successful. So for me, this works. And he's in that age group where they do everything on it anyway. But yes, I was helping other coaches to coach in this world. I remember that. And I remember when you and your husband is known among us as VIP, very important person. Oh, if, the dog if you don't is probably, it, just ask him. If you don't oh, believe I, it, just I, ask him. In <laughs> fact, when he signs emails to me, I think he signs them VIP. It's like, okay, I know who you are. But, oh, he's a dog. But he is. I really, really enjoy him. Um, we'll get on the phone. And he's actually going to teach me some Zoom tricks. So, and I need to make that, I need to schedule that pretty soon. But anyway, so we've talked about why you wrote the book, very important, how the book is doing because of your purpose in writing the book. We're talking about coaching. We've talked a bit about Zoom and speaking. So what do you see going forward for you in speaking? Are you planning on maybe doing kind of a hybrid type of thing, sometimes on a plane, sometimes not I mean, what are you what are you looking for well if toronto pearson airport continues to be in the top 10 worst airports in the world i think virtual might be becoming much more valuable to me uh, traveling right now is a is a nightmare you know what that's a very good question i don't think this i don't think a lot of companies know have landed yet i don't think they quite know what they're going to be doing moving forward because the um, the one that I spoke at in front of 600 people three weeks ago, they had five people test positive for COVID. But the rest of you know the group, my poor client was terrified I was going to catch it and not be able to get back into Canada. So it's it's still a little bit iffy. So I the good news is is I'm I've set myself up so that I can do either. Exa- I'll give you a, an example the one I'm supposed to do in August. Uh, I've worked with my client. I'm actually going to attempt to get into the location 48 hours in advance so that if I get bumped, flights canceled or delayed, I'll still make it because I'm the opening speaker at 9.30 on the Monday morning kickoff of the meeting. But we have also worked it out that she's going to have it set up so that if, God forbid, I can't get there, I'll deliver virtually. So it's making those kind of decisions and, you know, changes and also having, I think flexibility is going to be the biggest word in the speaker world going forward because not everything's going to be able to be in person. The other thing I think that also a lot of companies have come to realize, Denise, is you can save a lot of money not doing it in person. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. You can save. And remind me when we chat next. We'll probably chat after this show ends. There, I had a guest on here probably last year, and I cannot for the life of me remember the name of the company. But he was introduced to me by my very good friend Cindy Wrightson, who worked with Tony Robbins for 12, 13 years, and she's still in that speaker arena, but in a different way. It's behind the scenes, and between them, they. Well, it's his company, but she's worked on it. They have a company where they can literally have these huge events, and they're 100% virtual, and they're 100% interactive, which is fascinating. So remind me, and I'll, I'll send you that podcast, and I'll have to find it and share it with our audience. But you know, maybe some of the people that are trying to hire you might want to look at this 
technology. Thank you. That's very kind of you. And that's, you know, that goes back to what you were talking about before about introducing each other to other people to help. I think that's one of the big things that I saw come to the surface in the last two years is people were much more open to helping other people, knowing they didn't, they weren't going to get anything out of it directly, but people just seemed to be more willing to lend a hand than they might have been before. So I don't know what the speaker world's going to look like. Like I'm in the throes right now. I have an E1 visa to work legally in the United States and it's a five year tenure and it's coming up for renewal in October, but it's not for the faint of heart to get one and it isn't inexpensive to get one. So I'm, like taking a look at the what's on the horizon and I have to make a decision as to whether I'm going to invest in renewing it or not because just like many speakers I've talked to a number of my speaker friends and one guy who's been on the road just as much as I used to be he says I only have one in-person book for next year everything I'm talking to my clients about there seems to be virtual still in the equation so I I don't know what it's going to look like Denise I guess we're just going to have to wait it out and see. But personally, and because I am an introvert and because I don't want to be in crowds, if I'm going to watch a speech or you know anything like a webinar, it has to be virtual. I have to it be has able to, what? to. It has to be virtual. I have to be able to be here where I'm comfortable mm-hmm. and not being crowded or elbow bumped by anybody. You don't want to elbow bump me; it'll get ugly. But. You know, seriously, it will, I bite. But I have a visual. Is, think, <laughs> <laughs> well, and you heard me yelling at Hamilton as an ass that I was going to bite him before we got on the show. So, <laughs> yeah, he's my cat, by the way, if anybody wants to know. Um, it, it's just, I think a lot of people are finding, as you mentioned, we don't have to pay to get there. We don't have to pay to get back. We don't have to sit in airports. You know, there's just so many reasons to do virtual, although some people really do want that energy in the room. So there's that as well. It's interesting that you said that because that's what I said to my my audience in Colorado. I said, I derive my energy from you. The reaction from the crowd, you can feel it. Like I I said something about something, and I started getting people in the audience going, oh, man, yes, I agree, and that's the kind of thing you don't get as much on virtual and you can't read body language as well, especially if you're on with, you know, you're on a, on a call and you've got 80 people, but no, nobody's on video, but, or if they are on video, they shouldn't be because you're going cross-eyed trying to look at, you know, video. So it's, it's a different, it's a different setup, but I'm not, I'm not worried about it back to the fact that I'm comfortable in this environment and that was something that stood me in good stead when the world blew up if i had been trying to suddenly you know switch from in person to this i don't think it would have been as smooth of a transition i think i would have had a heck of a lot of bumps along the way but luckily i didn't worry friday i was in my office monday i was in my office there was no change for me but there was drastic change for a lot of people. Well, and you did what needed to be done. You didn't sit around and go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And some people did, some people didn't. I suspect that the people who were running around, you know, chicken little, the sky smiling, got over it pretty quickly when they realized that all they were doing was running around in circles and getting nowhere. And once they calmed down, they started coming up with different different ways to do things, different layers of how they they operate and how they serve. Things seem to be much, business-wise, seem to be much, much calmer than they were in the very beginning. But that was awful. It was awful. But it was awful. Here we are. I I think a lot of it has to do, I go back to what we said at the beginning, is it has a lot to do with mindset. Um, if you have a fixed mindset and you believe that it's that's the way it is, it isn't going to change. There's nothing you can do. You have no you have no say in it or whatever. If that's your mindset and that's where you live, 
then you're not going to be able to break through and beat the adversity and see what the opportunities are. If you have a growth mindset, then you are inclined to look for the silver lining in the gray cloud and to go, okay, so just because I've done it that way in the past doesn't mean I have to continue to do it that way in the future. One of the biggest things I challenged my clients to do was to think big and to say, okay, so if you could have anything you want, what would it look like? Don't get into the weeds. Don't say, but, but. I said, if you could do anything that you wanted, what would it look like? And then we would pull back. You know, I heard a great term. Instead of saying, um, I don't know how to do that, say, well, I haven't quite mastered that yet. It changes your mindset. It's like, instead of saying, okay, well, we're done and dusted. I'll never learn that. In, instead of doing that, you go, hmm, I haven't quite mastered that yet. Yeah, there'll be a few bumps along the way, but we can get there. Right. And so, so I think mind, like mindset was something, was a, has a conversation that I've come back to again and again and again. My husband has sometimes come to me after a coaching call and said, when are you hanging out the therapist shingle? And it's back to what you said. Sometimes people just need somebody to talk to, to listen to, and whatever. So some of a lot of my work, I've actually built a whole new program about mindset. And uh, I've delivered it in a couple of places. I'm delivering it again in August. And it's all about your mindset and, and how, you know, what kind do you have fixed or growth? And how do you, you know, move forward if you've got one or the other? And how does it play into you know, adversity and the way we think and the way we feel. And it, it's, it's actually, it's been quite interesting building this whole new program. And I think that a lot of people are realizing that they're just realizing, okay, my mindset might, it's got to shift. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have been successful and some people are still struggling with it, but I've seen a lot of growth in people and it's been so enriching to watch them, to see them go and grow and then come back and say, I didn't think I could do that. Well, you did. So pat, stop and celebrate and pat yourself on the back before you move forward to on the next thing on your to-do list. I'm glad you said that because that is something that I, I wouldn't say I struggled with it. I just wasn't aware of it because I'm one of those logical, linear thinkers. I'm always going. I'm always moving. I'm always writing code. I'm always doing something. And I would, I'd have all kinds of little mini wins all day long that I just didn't recognize. It's like, okay, that's done. Done and dusted. Off I go. And I'm on to the next thing. And I had to teach myself. First of all, I had to become aware that I was ignoring my own wins, if you will. Mm -hmm. I wasn't paying the slightest bit of attention. And I wasn't celebrating them and saying, well, good girl, Denise. So, you know, like you say, you take that 30-minute, you know, kind of gap between whatever it is you're doing. I may take 10 minutes. I often go to my refrigerator, stick my head in there, take a you know 10-minute meditation in there. Although, you know, <laughs> don't close the door. Don't close the door. <laughs> it's you know open refrigerator door syndrome. You stick your head in there, your blankets meditation. That's my story. But <laughs> it works. But At least I've it's not the other. No, <laughs> no, I will never go that route. But I've had to teach myself to walk off and think about what I have done, literally. It's like, well, Denise, that was a win. And how was it a win? Then I have to ask myself questions. Well, what was it in that conversation or that finished or completed task? What was it that had you just going, oh, that was terrific? Or, you know, I really don't like this work. But I have to deconstruct it and then put it back and say, well, that was fun. I want to do more of that. But I, I had to I had to learn to do it. Isn't that sad? Well, no, it's not sad. I think what you just said is brilliant because it it puts this into perspective beautifully. Is you didn't just stop and, you know, have a party. You stopped and, and went, Okay, what are my teachings from this? What have I learned from this? Why did that end up being a win 
or why did that end up maybe not being as powerful of a win as it could have been? And I think that's where a lot of people don't slow down, take enough time to dissect it and go, okay, so, you know, I always say to my clients when we're looking at things, look at things and say, okay, so what went well? And do I, and I want to continue doing it. What went well, but if I add X that I just learned through this process that will make it even better. Or the third one is, what should, if I stop doing that and I stop beating my head against the wall, the pain and the bleeding will stop. And my clients just laugh whenever I say number three. But they say to me, it has made me look at things differently by asking those three questions, even when I'm celebrating a win. So I think that was a brilliant comment. Thank you. And nobody else is going to ask you those questions. Nope. They have to come from you. Nobody knows what you're thinking. At least I hope nope. they don't. But the thing is, you <laughs> I really do. Mine is a very messy mind. Trust me, it's a squirrel brain in there. You don't want to go in there. But often I catch myself thinking, well, Denise, what were you thinking? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like, oh, well, this is what I was thinking, and, yeah, that kind of sort of worked, or, okay, you owe somebody an apology. Thankfully, that doesn't happen as much anymore. But the thing is, you have to kind of delve into what it is that you are thinking, what is working, what's not working, what do you really hate doing? Mm -hmm. Like in my 20 years of doing the kind of work I've, I've been doing, I've ditched two or three services that I was really, really good at, and I made good money doing it. I hated it towards the end. So I stopped doing it because, like you said, I was like brain bleeding all the time. I was banging my head against the desk. And once I realized that when that phone rang and my stomach jerked, it was like, <gasps> I had to get out. So I went and but did something different. But didn't you also find, Denise, that by freeing up the time that you were spending doing what you hated doing, it's amazing what it made room for that even made oh, yeah. you more money and brought you joy. Absolutely. And I will say this to anybody who wants to listen, nature abhors a vacuum. When mm-hmm. you cut that client loose that just for whatever reason they were with you three, four, five years, but the last year was hell, kind of like a bad divorce, all of a sudden the perfect client showed up 24 hours later because you have opened up that space. Yeah, it works. Well, the other quick thing is, is we've talked about this before, you attract what you put out. So if you're putting out a negative mindset, that's what you attract. If you're putting out a positive growth, let's go, tally ho, you'll attract that kind of individual to you. So a lot of people don't realize that they're their own worst enemy in terms of what they're putting out there. This is true. Words matter. Thoughts matter. And speaking of books, are you coaching with any of your your clients to write a book? And I say this with love because you're always reminding me. The word <laughs> nag is in quotes here, but you're always reminding hey. me to write my book about my cats. And it's like I've already written it. It's on Facebook. But you want oh. it in a real book, don't you? Yes. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Yes, actually, I have built a program to help a first-time author who wants to self-publish their own book to help them to go Good. through the steps and to also save a lot of money because I spent a lot of money the hard way so I can help them to cut through some of the stuff. Um, and I'm also, I've been helping some uh, first-time speakers. I just coached one of my clients to prepare for her first in-person um, speech and it went over so well they invited her to go to Vegas to give it again. So I've been doing, you know, one, I don't do a lot, but when I find somebody who really I believe is a good candidate for either becoming a first-time author or moving into the, you know, more professional speaking realm, I've been doing some work with that and having a lot of fun with it. So thanks for asking. Well, I thought you might be. I wasn't sure, but it just seems with my logical linear brain here that that would be a good offshoot of whatever everything else that you're talking about. Yep. I mean, we're told we all have a book in us. Mine's but you, still hanging you know, out. The inter- but you know what the interesting thing is? We all have a book in, uh, us, in us, but 85% of the population never write it, which is a shame. I know. I know. It is a shame. Listen, we are running out of time. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with the audience before uh, I let you go? 
Um, I'd love to offer your listeners a special offer just because it's you that um, if they're interested in the book and or the binder, they can go on to janebloffice.com and I'm happy to offer free shipping to people that come through you. Oh, thank you. Jane, thank you. It's been wonderful bringing you back to the show and I'm so sorry it took four years to do that. I'm ashamed. You know what? You're worth waiting for. No. You always have the best comebacks, and you actually mean it. So thank you. I appreciate that. So thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that you've shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us anywhere you consume your business podcast. I'm in iTunes, Audible, Apple. Just You can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So find us and take us along on your success journey. Thank you, Jane. I appreciate you very much. And I, too, you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 